Welcome to HJ Talks About Social Housing, a dedicated podcast series from our social housing team at Hugh James. In this podcast, we talk about the latest sector developments and topical issues to help provide some practical guidance on all aspects affecting housing associations. We are lawyers, so we will touch on the legal standpoints surrounding the topics, but don't worry, we'll keep the legal ease to a minimum. Hi everyone, I'm Eleanor, I'm a solicitor in the housing management team at Who James. Um, on today's podcast, we are discussing five top tips for landlords to defend disrepair claims. I'm joined by my colleague Michaela Smeaton, who's also a solicitor um, in our team. So Michaela, we've um, been seeing a significant increase in cases um, over the last couple of years, haven't we? Yes, Eleanor. We have reason to believe that there are certain claims farmers, solicitors or surveyors who are now hunting for these kinds of disrepair claims to pursue. Historically, the government legislated to make personal injury claims less profitable and to make claims farming much harder. Since then, the claims farmers and solicitors have tried to branch out into other types of work. Initially, there was a spike in credit hire claims, travel package claims and most recently housing disrepair. We have even seen books for solicitors advertised explaining how best to transition from personal injury work to that of housing disrepair. The solicitors' firms pursuing these claims are tenacious and won't give up easily, even when the law is not on their side. But it really is a problem, isn't it? Um, Social landlords and local authorities appear to be um, being targeted the most. Uh, We've seen ourselves marketing campaigns on social media like Facebook, um, And we've also received reports of agents canvassing, uh, knocking on the doors of tenants in certain areas and even offering them alcohol if they sign up to a CFA. As you can imagine, that's quite um, quite appealing for some tenants. Uh, Even during the course of claims, we've um, been made aware that tenants are telling landlords that they don't want to pursue the claim anymore, but they are feeling pressurised by their solicitors to continue so that they are not responsible for the solicitor's fees they've incurred. Yes, it's definitely a problem, which is costing landlords both time and money. So today we are going to provide our five top tips to defend disrepair claims. Eleanor, would you like to start us off? Yes, of course, Michaela. Um, There are a few things, obviously, which landlords can do, um, but I would say that one of the best things is taking a preventative measure before a disrepair claim is even brought and essentially when it's a, a twinkle in everyone's eye. Um, we need to ensure that routine maintenance cycles are carried out and ensure that repairs are responded to when reported. In order to successfully bring a claim for disrepair, a tenant must be able to show three things. Firstly, that the property is in a state of disrepair. Secondly, that the landlord was on notice of that disrepair. And thirdly, that the landlord has failed to respond reasonably to that complaint. If, as a landlord, you are on top of your maintenance, then in theory, you should have less complaints made. Um, We appreciate, obviously, that this isn't always possible and understand that even the best of our landlords will have some reports that will inevitably slip through the net. Um, Michaela, so what's your first tip for defending disrepair claims? My first tip for defending claims is record keeping, both before a claim is brought and during the course of a claim. We have seen various repair logs from our clients, some of which are more robust than others. If a claim becomes litigated, a court will have to consider your repair records against the claimant's evidence. 
If there are gaps in your records or very brief descriptions about the complaints raised, this can be prejudicial to the claim. If a judge sees that damp in the hallway was reported historically and is recorded in your records as damp rather than suspected damp, it may be that a judge interprets the records concluding that there was damp at the property. This goes for contractors too. I've seen records which state the windows have seen better days, whereas a simple further investigation of the windows or window renewal recommended would be a more positive and proactive record. During the course of the claim, keeping records as to attempted access, detailed reasons for no access, and dates which works are completed will be helpful if the claim becomes issued. We are doing a separate podcast on access and accounting for repairs, so please keep an eye out for that. Particularly in relation to no access, it is helpful to record whether the tenant was in the property when a contractor has tried to attend, whether the tenant was out, or whether they have said they are refusing on advice of their solicitors. We also recommend dropping a calling card if the tenant isn't in or refuses access and keeping a copy of that calling card on your systems as evidence that you have attempted to carry out an inspection or works. It's also worth following up this by letter or email and perhaps rearranging a date for a new attendance. Uh, thanks, Michaela. This um, takes us nicely on to our third top tip. Uh, if a claim is brought, you should inspect as soon as possible and carry out any repair works identified. The cost of any repair works are far more significant due to a disrepair claim than you would ever think. These costs will essentially be the determining factor in whether the claim is allocated to the small claims track or the fast track. There is a significant difference between the potential costs that can be awarded to the tenant on these different tracks. Within the small claims tracks, the costs are fixed and are therefore less attractive to a claimant solicitor. And as you will be aware, they will do anything they can to get over that threshold. The threshold for a matter to be allocated to the fast track is where there are over £1,000 worth of damages or £1,000 worth of works to be done. You will no doubt have experience of claimant solicitors and their tactic to rush off to get their own expert report, which will always confirm the works to be over £1,000. What we really need to be doing is counteracting this approach and ensuring that all works are completed, ideally before the point of issue, obviously if the claimant solicitor hasn't already rushed off to court to issue with their overinflated expert report in their hands. Um, Once we have completed the works, that part of the claim will fall away and small claims costs are likely to apply. If works are not completed at the point of issue, then we really need to get them done by allocation stage at the latest, so there is no argument for allocation to the fast track. Some of you may already be aware of the case of Birmingham and Lee, which essentially allows the claimant to recover fast track costs from the point of issue up until works are completed. Whilst we would like to believe that solicitors are striving to get the best results for their client, Ultimately, their only focus is on how much cost they can recover. Clearly, costs are the motivation to farm these claims on such a large scale, and our objective must be to try and make them less attractive to pursue. Our focus must therefore be on getting any required works done as a matter of priority, and to get as many of these claims as we can allocated to the small claims track. Maybe we can all then at least take some comfort from the fact 
that it is going to cost the claimant solicitors far more than the small claims costs of a little over £1,000 to deal with the claim from start to finish. Thanks, Eleanor. Our fourth top tip on these claims is to remember to respond to the letter of claim. Once you have inspected the property, and ideally within 20 working days of any letter of claim, you should provide a protocol response to the claimant's solicitors confirming any work she proposed to do and in what time frame. Your protocol response should also confirm whether you consider that you were on notice of the defects complained of, and if so, whether you consider that you acted reasonably in response. It is really important to respond within the 20 working day period with disclosure. This includes the tenancy agreement, rent statement, repair records, contact log, and any other documents which you consider are relevant to the claim. The protocol states that both the disclosure and the protocol response should be provided within the 20 working days of receipt of the letter of claim. It goes on to say that the 20 working day period should be considered a long stop for providing these documents. Solicitors are quick to issue applications to the courts for pre-action disclosure when this time frame is not complied with, and we believe that they do this to obtain additional costs, and we've known them to issue pre-action disclosure applications, sometimes even on the 21st day. As a landlord, if you have failed to provide disclosure in line with this timescale and have not communicated with the solicitors, then you are likely to lose an application at courts. Whilst the starting point for these applications is that the disclosing party should receive their costs, solicitors are likely to argue conduct issues as to reasoning as to why they should get their own costs instead. If you know you are going to have logistical difficulties in getting disclosure together due to staff, illnesses or holidays, then you should let the solicitors know as soon as possible and work with them to agree a new date for it to be provided. I would recommend putting this in writing so that if an application is made before the agreed extension expires, then you can rely on the document at any hearing. A pre-action disclosure application can end up costing a significant amount in legal fees and where possible, you do not want an application to be made. Uh, Thanks, Michaela. And finally, um, our last top tip is that if you do have any potential liability, then you should really be looking to settle the claim as early as possible. Uh, If your records show that you were on notice of a defect and that the property is in disrepair upon your inspection, whether this just be a simple redecoration that's not been um, carried out after uh, maintenance or any repair work, then you should really be considering making an offer of damages to settle the claim. Obviously, depending on the value of works you find, you um, should also be looking to make an offer of solicitor's costs. Obviously, um, I, I dealt with this issue in detail above, but if the works are less than £1,000, then you should be looking to make an offer of small claims uh, tracks costs, which are um, fixed. However, if uh, the works are more than £1,000, then you should either offer for the uh, claimant's costs to be assessed, um, if not agreed, or fix them on a commercial basis. Um, Early settlement will hopefully prevent the the claimant solicitors racking up um, costs and hopefully will stop them from issuing proceedings against you. And if you don't make offers to settle these claims, and we're not saying that you should, they will most likely be issued by the solicitors. It is incredibly important that you respond to them in the right way and in the right time. 
The presence of disrepair in a property does not mean that a tenant is entitled to damages in itself. They must satisfy that you were on notice and fail to respond reasonably. But if you have done what is reasonable in terms of repairs and can show that you have responded to historical complaints, a disrepair claim can be entirely defendable. So in the meantime, um, it's really important to have a good record-keeping system in place um, and perhaps getting a good training rolled out to all staff who touch disrepair claims, um, basically to help them understand how significant their initial record-keeping can actually be in these claims, say, 18 months, two, three years down the line. Um, It's really important for everyone in the business um, who touches these disrepair claims to understand how crucial these records are to any claim of disrepair. Uh, Essentially, records need to accurately reflect the conversations which have taken place when um, a tenant has phoned in and and reported issues, and really they need to show the efforts made by the organisation to inspect as quickly as possible and repair and improve the properties um, where needed. That concludes our five top tips um, for defending disrepair claims. Um, If you do have any questions or need any further advice, um, please don't hesitate to contact Eleanor or myself or the rest of the team and we'll be happy to help. Thank you. If you would like to take part in the conversation, suggest a topic or need some further guidance for your organisation, please get in touch at socialhousing at hjtalks.co.uk. For more information on Hugh James and the services we offer, visit hughjames.com or check us out on Twitter at PropertyHJ.